0: everybody welcome back to pretend world's real people as always i'm tyler and i am nerding out oh my god uh i got to spend about an hour or so with one of my favorite screenwriters who i've been wanting to talk to you since i was in college actually before that since i was a kid sitting down watching the rocketeer on my little uh sierra tv television i got to sit down with danny bilson now who's danny bilson well obviously i told you he's one of the screenwriters for the rocketeer He also helped develop and write the Flash series from the 90s and a ton of other projects from the 80s moving on into the new millennium and even the Five Bloods directed by Spike Lee that came out in 2020. He is an incredible writer. He was very kind to give me about an hour of his time to sort of learn more about his story, how he became a screenwriter, what it was like working with the same partner for over 40 years, Mr. Paul DeMeo, who sadly is no longer with us. He passed in 2018. Um, he's another person. I mean, if I, if I could have interviewed any pair of screenwriters, uh, you know, 15 years before this, it would have been both of them. Uh, but luckily, as he mentions in this interview, Paul is always in his ear with him and he knows, uh, he knows how Paul would respond when talking about, uh, talking about screenwriting. So of course I picked his ear about the Rocketeer as well. Overall, it was a wonderful interview. We had some technical difficulties and, uh, it, uh, hopefully <laughs> didn't ruin too much of the, the very end of the interview uh, with some slight editing to it but yeah it was just fantastic danny if you're listening to this you were uh you're amazing to have on the show would love to have you back and uh yeah without further ado let's sit down and chat with mr danny bilson
1: my name is danny bilson i'm a writer who has participated in many other aspects of my career <laughs> in um, making uh, entertainment. And just to say, it's telling stories through different mediums. I think that's the best way to say it. I've told stories through many different mediums and continue to explore that and, and work on that. Mm-hmm. And was and teach filmed. That, and teach that, too. Oh,
0: yeah, because te- do you still teach at USC?
1: Yeah, I'm the um, chairman of the Interactive Media and Games Division of okay. the S- School of Cinematic Arts, as well as the director of the USC Games program, which is a joint program with the Viterbi School of Engineering. So we host both wow. engineers, producers, designers, creators. And um, we're really expanding right now into all, again, all kinds of storytelling. From games to all kinds of immersive narrative, I would say, mm-hmm. including themed entertainment, um, from everything from free to play mobile phones to um, theme parks.
0: Oh, wow. So, I mean, you're just dipping your, your irons in a bunch of different parts of the fire. Anything so that
1: involves interaction design
0: and storytelling. Wow. Is this, did this stem from your work, you know, writing scripts for video games? Have you always wanted to do? something like no, this? No, it actually diverse. stems
1: from me really liking games in general, okay. even before yeah. video games, because I'm, was around when all we had were board games. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, I grew up in a neighborhood of kids, but I moved into this neighborhood when I was about 11 or 12 of kids who really were into board games. And I got into that whole thing. I mean, I just, any kind of storytelling or, you know, escape from this reality to another was always, I think, what I was after. So, um, movies games anything that um again immersive storytelling is the game part right so do you even... a, game of, a game of risk tells a story oh yeah
0: absolutely I mean did you ever play like d or any of those
1: well uh... d came out I believe in 1978 if, I remember, yeah. if I've got it right that was the year I graduated from college so I was aware of it of course I am totally aware of it but I did not grow up in that with that culture yeah. of D and D. We were doing kind of LARPy type role playing stuff in college because I was in a theater department, and we would have played D and D if it were there. And after that, I became aware of it, and um, I'm still into very into board games of all kinds, especially any kind that delivers uh, emergent story and things like that. What's
0: your do you have a favorite
1: board game?
0: Yeah. Or I guess top I have a three. a favorite my that favorite. I played
1: recently. I mean, I had a, we played Saturday. I had some friends of them. We played the Return to Dark Tower, the new um, remake of that game. Oh, I God had man. the original in the '80s, the original Dark Tower, and this one was great. We had a blast. We had four people from school. You know, we're all um, at least thinking about games. I think I'd say they were all game designers. Um, well, anyway, we're all in the department, and anyway, we were. We had a blast we played it on Saturday. We don't actually do that very often where we maybe once a year where we actually have time to sit down and yeah and play a board game like that, but board games are a part of our design um ethos and part of the curriculum so we start the freshmen out in board game design and then they move to yeah. into video games and that's in our in our game department wow I wish uh I wish there's I a lot heard. I mean that's a whole thing right is it yeah so, so yeah, that's one of the jobs I'm currently doing is i um run that and then I'm involved in a kind of a startup production company around movies tv and extending those to other platforms including all the way to user generated content so I'm 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 still very involved in creative and making stuff and writing I've done a lot of writing lately but anyway what was your question well you said (laughs) introduce yourself so yeah the title led me to some of the stuff about school and there you go
0: yeah no that that's essentially what this podcast is. Open platform, I ask a question, it just usually branches off, right?
1: Yeah, with uh, me, it will, totally.
0: <laughs> hey, that makes my job a hell of a lot easier. I do want to ask you, what was your first foray into writing features? Was that something that you kind of entertained the idea of in college? It was a little bit earlier. When did you write your first script?
1: Yeah, it wasn't a feature, it was a play. Mm. So I met Paul DeMeo in the theater department at Cal State San Bernardino I think we met in 1976, and we performed a play. We liked the same stuff. We liked the same old movies, and we grew up on the same stuff. Paul was three years older than me, but we did William Gillette's Sherlock Holmes play with a professor named uh, Bill Slout, who was our really our mentor and started our career. And we did this play. Paul played Sherlock Holmes, and I played some safecracker named Sid Prince in this in this um production um it was a summer thing and we said something like wow wouldn't it be cool to do a story where sherlock holmes meets houdini and he said wow write it and we'll put it on the main stage i said we're like really he goes yeah sure (laughs) so we set ourselves up we actually it was a closet a storage closet that we took over it had like a drafting desk we could barely fit between the walls in there and a couple of stools, and we go in there with a yellow pad, and he would write on the yellow pad, and we started writing this play in the early 1977 is when we started writing this play, and in spring of 1978, we performed the Houdini Deception at Cal State San Bernardino before we graduated, and then when we went to, we moved to, there's there's a lot of stories here, we moved to LA, I moved back to LA, and Paul moved to L.A. from San Bernardino. And one of our earliest things was after we found, we we met our manager. So it must have been a year or two after we, we got this play out and around or somebody did. And we had some big producers who were talking. We rewrote it for to make it a bigger like Broadway scale thing. And they were going to have John Gielgud and Ralph Richardson who played Holmes and Watson on radio in the 40s. They were pitch, they were talking to them about um, doing this play. And then um, Ralph Richardson died. I remember this. And that whole thing fell apart. And then in one part, they were talking about Rex Harrison playing Sherlock Holmes. So even when we were kids back then, there was some activity around that. And then we also wrote a film. The first film we wrote was called, I think, yeah, it was called Gods of the Night. And it was kind of like Conan in the modern world about this... um. <laughs> Physics professor who's in the middle of the night is getting called out to weird places where he's got this sword and is fighting these crazy demons that are breaching from hell into our world. And in the end he goes into hell and beats the shit out of the devil like Conan would. But he's a modern guy, so it was like a Hitchcock story where he gets they think he's killing people and the cops are chasing him and he's chasing demons and there's a romance and he thinks he's going insane. It was, you know, that's we never got that made. We did have um <laughs> At the time, like in 1980, John Dykstra, who was the visual effects supervisor for Star Wars, yeah, um, he was trying to set out his directing career. And so he signed on as director on Gods of the Night. And I think it was pitched to a few places or submitted, but nothing happened. And that's as much as I remember from that. But we always had a certain amount of action and activity around our material. Wow. The whole time, to this day, for 45 years, whatever it is now. 45 years, there's always been something, always, there's always been something in activity where at least there was a hope of something happening, for sure. Wow, even wow. Right, even today, I've got like four things going on, you know, and well, one, we're actually writing, getting paid for, so, but, but Paul has <laughs> passed away in 2018, but i have working yeah, with other other people and other, a lot of bunch of different, a bunch of other different folks in um, projects. So, You know, going from, you know, unfortunately,
0: I'm sorry to hear that at the time when it happened, like I couldn't believe he had had passed um, being a fan, but uh, going from a writing partner of, you know, 40 plus years to writing with, you know, other folks nowadays, was that kind of a hard transition or, you know, you being a teacher, were you able to, you know, just kind of adjust? Uh, Yeah, it's
1: not really, it's sort of like everything that Paul and I became kind of like one voice. Hmm. So it's kind of like it's Paul and I right in my in my psychology, it's kind of like Paul and I and all that experience, everything in my head is the experience that we develop. So it's kind of like that plus other people. So it's not like Paul's not there and everything that was a part of that is missing. Hmm. Because my brain and my creative works in the same patterns and systems that it did for 40 years of writing with Paul at the other side of the desk. So that still works the same. Um, I kind of know what he would say about anything. You know what I mean? I absolutely yeah. know what he would say. But, so that's always kind of there. Um, and then there's a certain freedom where I don't have to deal with what he would say about anything too. Where oh, he would always like stop my momentum. <laughs> he was like he was like Mister Logic, and I was always big ideas, and he'd go, oh well, well that won't work because he was at the club the night before, and he, she would have seen him. So so much for that. It's like oh god. So there was a little bit of that. I don't have to deal with so much. Um, the teacher part, yes, because a lot of my partners are newer hmm. writers, um, and that's easier because I have they I have kind of final cut, so to speak, and more control. Hmm. But I've worked with some. Re- I'm working with some really good people, and we've written some really good stuff. And um, hopefully, you'll be seeing it at some point. Oh, okay. So very nice I think. I mean, I one thing is sold. One. It doesn't mean it's getting made. Another <laughs> thing should be sold and get made. Um, there's a couple that, you know, should pop up. One of them is already in development and moving right along. Um, oh, man. It's a big historical epic thing. But that's, I'm working on that with a lot of people. And there's a lot of extensions of that into other media beyond the TV show.
0: That's crazy, because the last thing that uh, you've written that, at least i had seen, was Defy Bloods. Right, so like right. That was ago, Paul. Right?
1: Paul and I wrote that. And um, he, Paul knew, Paul, we, I think we got their rewrite of it like two weeks before Paul died. So he read, wow. he read Spike and Kevin's rewrite of a script that was called The Last Tour, mm-hmm. our script. So at least he was aware of it, and he was very proud of it before he passed. So that was cool. You know, wow. At least he went out knowing that there was, because uh, he, he really was like, I really want one more credit. And I was like, I want a lot more. <laughs> I want to keep writing. Um, but he did get one more credit. So that was good. And I'm very proud of that movie. I'm very, you know. You should be. <laughs> they were great. You know, Kevin and Spike were just really, really, really respectful and nice to um, myself and Paul's memory. So it was, it was really great they were they were terrific they were good. just i have nothing to say but good things about that that was that was really cool
0: yeah that was that was a fantastic film uh definitely surprised me in various aspects of it uh, you know going to uh, or going back to writing with a partner mm-hmm. yeah, i'm currently drafting up a a series with my writing partner right now that we hope to pitch and sell again in Sundance and this other stuff through the lab but uh i always love to ask writers if they have a partner did you guys ever have a, a really long-winded disagreement about something uh, within a
1: script that may have lasted more yes, than a day? Yes, but I'll tell you, and <laughs> I think this is valuable, I said that the two young partners I was working with recently who were fighting, and I was just like stunned, is when we were young, yeah, we would fight over everything. What a waste <laughs> of money and time and resource. When we were old, we'd fight about anything. It was just fine. Move on. Fine. Move on. Let's get it done. Let's catch a chip. Move on. It's like nothing was that important. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there. If, if it was important. Yeah, but we were really more focused on completion. Once we got professionalized, you realize I don't need to argue with you. You know what I mean? About yeah. it's stupid. It's like let's figure out something and move on i'm also a big believer now and i've learned this more one thing that's been cool is teaching screenwriting or teaching at the best screenwriting school in the world with a bunch of professional writers who've learned how to share it and then express it to students without textbooks is um i learned from uh jack epps who is a professor there who also wrote top gun and a lot of stuff back in the day Something I learned in the last six or seven years, and I've been writing for 40, what did I say, 45 years? So was just throw it down, right? At first, just throw it down and rewrite. Throw it down and rewrite. And if you just do that, you don't get hung up on what gets down on the page at any one time. It's just throw it down and keep it moving and get the pages done. So I am now liberated from um, worrying about it as I put it down. And I just let it flow. I just let it flow. And then i it's amazing how fast, I'm ridiculously fast now. Also, I don't have to argue with Paul. So, <laughs> but I'm ridiculously fast. But we actually, Paul and I got, at one point he moved to, out of town, not far. So we were working like this before COVID and before Zoom, but we were just working like this. We just started separating scenes instead of sitting in the same room and writing on the same page. You do that scene. I do that scene. You do that scene, and that's how I work with partners now. When we're scripting, is we assign scenes and blocks. Like there's an outline, and then we start. And I go, all right, I'm going to take this one and this one. Or you take that one and that. We don't do the whole thing, and then we stop, hit that. In the case of the way I work now is I kind of polish it all up, and then it doesn't mean it's the end. And if somebody says, well, what about this? You put, it, you know, it's fluid. But I kind of take responsibility. For polishing it and then we move on to the outline right anyway, now next while you take that you take that you take that and then we keep going i did one script with like like six names on it, a comedy oh in, in the last few years yeah it's pretty, <laughs> pretty wild and then um you but i've been working with two partners so there's three of us on a couple of things and one partner um i've written two things with so it's interesting yeah yeah It's cool. it's fine for me i don't know i well i'm glad you you shared that part because i don't think i've ever had
0: a long-winded argument at least with my current partner because we do the same thing it's like you do your scene and we'll trade and then we'll just we'll red line the hell out of it to try to help each other and then you know you just kind of take that criticism but uh yeah it's just good to hear that (laughs) you know there's
1: it's like you just have to keep it malleable yeah just keep going and then um it's but the, my main thing is it's so if you start arguing you're not writing if you're not writing you're not getting it done if you're not getting it done you're not getting paid if you're not getting paid you can't write another one so yeah. it's kind of like it's not worth it that's true and some of the stuff you find is how big is the i mean how big of a deal right <laughs> just give it up it's like i give it up you give it up how big of a deal is it whether they handcuffed him or? you know, it's bullshit, you know, it's always something stupid, right, it totally is, it's usually not elemental, it's usually not, I would think this character be, I want to change the character to female, no, it's not that, it's usually something that, oh, I think that's too over the top, that's too big of an idea, I don't believe it, you know, well, but I do, and then it's like, well, what, well, you know, and then just make it work, it's like, If it's showstoppingly bad, it'll usually, I kind of believe that good is good, is bad is bad, and everybody can see it. Everybody can see it. That's how you make hits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So everybody, not writers, perfect people on the street, you know, everybody, because everybody's been watching movies, they all know, they understand the language. So I think good is good, and bad is bad. But what you're usually fighting about is something that's not a showstopper. Exactly, <laughs> it's it's the
0: teeniest. So don't
1: thing. stop the don't stop the show. <laughs> That's just wise old writer stuff, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's I mean it's important to to hear, especially if you're in university right now, and there's maybe somebody you're writing with who wants to keep up the same battle and it's good to know like you're wasting time
1: <laughs> you know you're
0: you're, you're just wasting We're not time. Getting
1: it done yeah but you know you know just as easily you could be the one if let's assuming you could be the one who gives up too you know what i mean True. it's just give up just just move on because if it really fucked up <laughs> just move on <laughs> you can always go back and fix it unless it's going to send off all these things but that's usually not the issue it's usually something yeah. stupid
0: yeah no, that's that's exactly right. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked that question. That's my experience. Yeah, and a lot of writers agree on that too. Just stop. I don't think everyone said it's you're wasting time and you're wasting you know your opportunity to get money paid by having this done. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't think anyone thinks about that because we're all somewhere in a cafe writing this together. Well, uh, <laughs> it's
1: the same thing. It's worse when you're writing on spec. Yeah, I
0: is really that even
1: expect- a thing anymore? Is that that's still- all we do is write on spec, that's all yeah. we do. So, but writing on spec means it's really expensive because mm-hmm. it's you're paying, you know, to do it. It's like yeah. it means you're not doing something else and earning money doing something else. So, you invest your money and your hours into that. That's expensive. So, it's like, how many hours do you want to argue about? Is it a dog or a cat? You know what I mean? It's always <laughs> shit like that, it's always. It's always is it a dog or cat that comes in to get the thing and take it out the door? You know what I mean? It's like something about that level, right?
0: Yeah. It's a <laughs> very small portion of the page. I to think, think about that though, that you know, when I'm
1: in or the Or it's of a- he would never or she would never do that. Yeah. Yes, they would. How can you say she would never do that? And this is what I always used to go to. In the world of infinite possibilities that you have as a writer, how could it be impossible for her to do that? Let's there must be a way. <laughs> when we have infinite possibilities i'm serious this is this is this is just from working with partners for
0: 45 years is that where the pro and con bullet list comes out i don't even that do, discussion? i'm not
1: that left brain i don't i'm not that organized <laughs> i don't start sketching cuz that's a waste of my energy if i have to write shit about writing shit that means i'm not writing the words on the page i'm now writing a argument on a board oh that's brilliant pros and cons <laughs> uh, but I, in game development and game design that's that i feel differently. like in game design where you're working with larger groups of people the what we are doing what we're not doing become stuff you do spend time on to keep everybody on the same page so to speak but working with one writing partner um no but you know most of my writing partners honestly post paul they're I haven't really they tend to defer. Hmm. And maybe it's because of my seniority or or they like my writing. Maybe. I don't know. I hope it's they it's mostly my writing's pretty good. You know, it's if you've done it a long time, like I you get to a point. I mean, come on, if you're doing it forty five years, I know the difference between good and bad. So I know I'm, I I always my stuff's always it's always a good script. It's whether you yeah. like the idea or the concept or not. It's always highly functional. Yeah, forty-five
0: years of doing that, you're yeah. you're up there. You know, I could see why they would defer.
1: From <laughs> there experience, yeah, yeah. They'll argue if they think something's wrong. I don't have any partners who wouldn't argue. Everyone mm-hmm. would, even the most junior ones I'm working with. They would all argue a point. They should be. They should. Yeah. So how how
0: did you get into writing for video games or, or writing video game scripts? yeah so to well, speak like the double seven night yeah that, that
1: was a that was something i did you know i didn't in my game business my career wasn't as a game writer yeah. my career was an executive and then i would write as part of something i was working on so i it, it it started when paul and i were making these shows in vancouver viper and the sentinel in the late 90s yeah and i was flying back and forth and i met um Don Matrick on an airplane who was the president of e a of Electronic Arts, and he was really interested in getting Hollywood somehow into games, you know when that's a whole what Hollywood means a lot of different things, I think to them at that time, right It meant storytelling it meant that sensibility um so they had this game that they were stuck on called the Sims that they Really thought that Don thought I need to get some sitcom writers. They'll be able to kick this thing over. And what he found was um, a writer who was really into games. Me and Paul too. Paul and I play games all the time in the office. So all the time since college, we play games. So so we approached The Sims pretty with pretty much with a lot of game intelligence. You know what I mean? As opposed to Hollywood writers were going to put into this game. I mean, I had played all Will Wright's games. I had played SimCity. I knew what River Raid was. Like, I knew, you know, I'm a game aficionado, so to speak, or I was. And so the opportunity was to participate. Now, that game, when we got there, was Will, I think, was interested in architecture and then it was kind of there were adults and it was like what it was like a three company simulator. If you remember that old show. Yeah, it was about a guy living in a house with two girls. And that's kind of what it was about. Can you get them in the hot tub? Can you, you know, it was just this weird thing. And I said, well, SimCity was about growth. Can we make this about growth and can we have families? Right. And they said, well, at first we can't do. Kid models. Like, we're never going to be able to pull it off. And then when we got to pets, that was impossible. Eventually, they did all that stuff. But we actually put a bunch of structure around a game that that the designer, look, the designer's one of the all-time legends of the game industry. But he was he's very much about sandbox creation kind of games. So, and we put, we wrote the career tracks. Everything that's structured in the first Sims game was stuff that Paul and I added or convinced them we should add to the game. And lots of stuff we wanted to do was not put in the game. The main thing was, as a gamer, though, it wasn't my kind of game. Because I'm a writer, and that game's about making up stories while you play, and that's work to me. So I didn't connect with that like the other billions of people that made that into a gazillion-dollar franchise. Multi, (laughs) multi, multi multi-billion-dollar franchise that it is now and has been for twenty. 20 or 22 years I can't remember I think it came out in 2000 so um but I was instantly made a VP at EA and brought Paul in. Paul stayed on his story stuff and I took on the Harry Potter franchise James Bond and then Medal of Honor as a creative exec so I was working with the team in England and with the author up in Edinburgh for meetings and approvals and stuff and all the, the first four Harry Potter Games. One was a Quidditch game, and the other were, I think, the first three movies. And I was really involved in the first two now that I think about it. And so at one point, Paul and I wrote the Harry Potter stuff, but all we were doing was a lot of game writing is not driven by the writers necessarily. Sometimes it is. If you have narrative design, they're doing story, and then the designers are taking that story and they're all building it together. Often, though, the designers want to write. And so they write these things first, and then you come in to rewrite it and clean it up and make it more authentic to the IP. There's all kinds of game writing that goes on. But in those days, there were no game writers back in 2000 to 2004, whenever we were doing that. So as part of my gig, even though I was the VP working the IP, working with Warner Brothers, working with the author, at the end of the day, Paul and I would sit down and write the dialogue for the scripts, rewrite them. But we weren't really designing the games. We had Some influence on some things, but mostly I think, if I remember correctly, on those Potter games. Yes, I had influence with the executive producer and the team, so I'm still friends with those people to this day because it was a great experience with them. And it was a UK team, but they drove the creative. I represented it a lot and helped manage and fight through creative rights issues so that we could create and not have Warner Brothers tell us but we couldn't do because it wasn't in the book when we're actually talking to the author. There was interesting stuff. Like at the beginning, she had to write a book for us because nobody even knew how Hogwarts was, there were no maps, like how it was laid out or, and there weren't enough monsters for us to to have a game. So so she wrote (laughs) this book. It was, some of it had handwritten, a lot of handwritten drawings and types. And the monsters from that became, the care of Mad, not no the the those two books that were charity books that she did, which now one is that movie series, the magical. Book
0: oh yeah, the Fantastic Beasts.
1: Yeah, Fantastic yeah. Beasts. And Where to find them was a charity book she wrote. That a lot of the early work was done for the monsters she put in this 150-page document <laughs> that we had to start the games. She was very friendly and very interested and really involved in the IP and trying to make it work. Um there were only as I recall there were only a few copies of that book and I have had one of them and I lost it somewhere along the way. Oh no,
0: you Which lost pretty, it or was uh, it lifted?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I just misplaced it in my stuff somehow, you know, in oh, wow. I don't know what happened. Um but I wish I had it. It was very cool because it was, you know, it, it was very cool. Um so so I did those and then with Bond, Paul and I really did write. Now we start to talk about the direction of the game and the levels. We rewrote and helped them finish Agent Under Fire where there was stuff like production needed to go back to the embassy set and play another level in the embassy for production reasons. And we had to rewrite the story and make it make sense of why Bond would go back to the embassy. That's kind of hard to do, actually. It was (laughs) really hard. My big memory about it was really hard. Then we did this game, Agent Under Fire, which started off as um, You Only Live Twice, right? Which was, you know, I'm a huge Bond fan, especially those films. And there was some kind of story. But Paul and I wound up really driving and collaborating with the teams on the story direction of that, where they went, the betrayals, what happened. And it's never again, it's never a case of the writers just saying, we're going to go here and go there. It's very collaborative. Game development is very, very collaborative. So, um, but definitely we were driving on that thing and wrote all the scenes and the dialogue, cast it, directed all the, vo- I directed all the voice acting and, then in the end, we wound up replacing Max Caulfield, who did the Bond voice with Pierce Brosnan, because they decided the movie's coming out. Let's put his likeness on the box, which I think was really smart. It was really smart. And then Pierce came in, and we recorded um, him replacing all that dialogue. But, uh, wow. And they changed the likeness to him. They scanned his head and put the likeness on. But that was a game that people liked nightfire like people talk about that like they really enjoyed it it had driving and shooting and yeah i think i think we did a good job with um that we wrote a couple more and then we went to do our own where i was one of the executive producers and it was called this one we really wrote golden eye it was called it wasn't called that it was called goldfinger versus dr no and it became golden eye rogue agent and somewhere in the middle of that i left the i left ea because it was not it was like we're going to ship it no matter what it didn't have the resources it wasn't it was getting short sheeted and it was going sideways I've never looked at it since because it was kind of like a passion project that just went bad and I actually left over that and a few other things I just felt at that time they weren't really respecting creative at all or production it was just nuts (laughs) and so um, I left and uh, we went back to doing some writing and wrote a few things, a graphic novel, some TV movies that didn't get made, designed some theme park stuff. And then I got hired at THQ where I was, I became the executive vice president of, um, of Core Games where I managed marketing and production for the large section of that company for a few years and they went out of business. Yeah. Um it was a weird thing i always say that i got on the titanic after it hit the iceberg (laughs) and i you know started a lot of things that got made by other companies in the end like the first south park game and um evolve and a bunch of stuff but um it was a great experience a lot of friends it was a rough experience um it's not fun when you're not making money it's really not like like if you're an executive of a company or it's not working. It's really sucks. It's it's very painful for everybody and very difficult. And um yeah. Um But it was great. I mean, it, it great in the sense of having the opportunity to have a role like that and then actually decide, I don't, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to roll like that again. Really?
0: So, you're done.
1: I don't want, no, I didn't, I started to go after other exec jobs after that, and at a certain point, this recruiter said to me, a very wise person said, what do you want to do? And she kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I didn't know what to say. And I realized, I don't know if I want to do this, you know, do the, manage the giant P&L and be the company spokesman and deal with Wall Street and all that stuff. I'd rather be a writer. <laughs> you know, really, at the end of the day, in the beginning <laughs> of the day, I'm, I'm just a story person. and so I was always an adjunct at SC working since 2005. I actually taught every semester till now, since 2005. It's crazy. I haven't even missed one because wow. adjuncts don't get sabbaticals. I do get a sabbatical next year because I have been full time for almost six years. Um, so I did that and then writing. And, you know, that's where the last tour was written. And so Five Bloods got made. And I've got a bunch of stuff right now going on it's not green light yet but hopefully hopefully i'm gonna keep my eye out <laughs> yeah Especially, i hope so yeah. i mean i actually have to write some emails going where's that deal memo yeah. this movie that <laughs> this guy um christian canna mason i wrote this submarine movie christian wrote the video game red dead redemption as well as oh, and was, was the lead designer as well as directed this movie called Air. And so we joined forces and have written a couple of things together that are, I think, good. I think this submarine movie is real. It's World War II submarine movie is really good. And uh, we have another TV thing about the origins of Area 51, which is very interesting. It's like all that alien stuff comes from a cover up, a CIA cover up to cover the, the the planes that they were testing. So it's very, it's a fun, you know, Vegas in the '50s thing. So those are a couple projects. I've got a lot of projects around. Wow. Um, A feature project that I think, you know, should really go that's uh, uh, about um, these black guys in East Texas who had a muscle car in 1969 based on my partner's dad and uncle. And that's kind of like American graffiti. It's kind of like kind of a black American graffiti. And I think it's really cool. And that's another one that's been great to participate with cross-cultural partners on it's been a blast so that you know a lot of that kind of stuff um most of the stuff I write now has more even if it's like five Bloods, it's like even if it's an adventure film there's more depth to the stuff I've been doing I think at my age and time of life I don't I don't need to make one just for the popcorn anymore it's got to have something else going on it's for me I mean it's like you know I don't know just how it works how I've evolved yeah. as a writer.
0: Well, I hope I get to see, if not all, at least one of those. Me too. I hope you get to
1: see all of them because that (laughs) way my children can eat and get shoes. (laughs) And get shoes. (laughs) Then we won't have to
0: keep the tags on and plastic wrap on the bottom. So you can always return them. Uh, I would be, uh, I'd kick myself in the pants. Of course, you could see by the giant helmet behind me and the multiple copies of the movie. Uh, The Rocketeer is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's the reason I became an actor, why I became a screenwriter in the first place. And uh will just kind of fell into acting, I guess. Uh but yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh at least the how it was adapting that comic book into a screenplay. I know you've talked about it, you know, over the years, but uh if there's anything you can offer as far as insight <laughs> as to adapting uh from a core comic we can book, we talk about adapting
1: that. For sure. Um and we we were you know, we also did some other adaptations that weren't made, but I mean, the, the Iron Man. We we did a bunch of stuff that wasn't made. Um, but the Rocketeer, of course, was a <clears throat> excuse me a six year journey from the time we started working with Dave Stevens till the time the movie came out. So in we met Dave in '86 when I believe it was around the time. It was either before I went to Italy to make Zone Troopers or right after, but. But we used to, when we were working at Empire, which is Charlie Band's company in the 80s, where we made Trancers and Zone Troopers and Eliminators, all the Urz movies. (laughs) It Um, it was right around the corner from the Golden Apple. So when we would go to lunch, at least once a week, we would hit the Golden Apple, which is the comic book store on Melrose in LA. And, you know, go through the bins and flipping through stuff. And it was a really great time in the 80s. This is around 84, 85 of that renaissance of comics, um, Dark Knight, American Flag, who Howard Chaikin, creator, became one of our writers on Flash and stayed with us for years in our television stuff. Um, the Rocketeer, we found in the bins. And look, Paul and I loved Old Moon. We knew every all the same, well, we really had all the same references as Dave. So we found the book, Love the Art. Every It's all about the art. That book's about the art. You know, there's some really nice, story mood stuff in there and Betty's fantastic and a great idea but it's 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 all of this art is just spectacular so we fell in love with it and somehow we tracked him down and said because we were working at Empire we definitely weren't in our offices at Empire at the time which we're now up on La Brea because we moved Charlie moved you're not in LA right you're somewhere else no no I'm in uh, I'm in Denver at the time yeah yeah, yeah. okay (laughs) So I won't give all these local references. But, um, <laughs> i just keep
0: nodding. <laughs>
1: yeah. So we were there and there's a lot of other stories around that. But I remember, I remember clearly Dave came to the office for a meeting and, and he said the rights, this was like Kismet, right? He said, the rights are just expiring. Steve Meyer who was a, a good director, an accomplished guy, what person was, um, he was, hadn't done anything. He hadn't got it made or moved it along, but I think he wanted to re-up the rights. And we were like, well, we don't have any money, but we really like it. <laughs> and look at all the cool shit we're doing. And we showed him, a, I re- definitely the production art from Zone Troopers was there, which I still have here somewhere, um, which was like the space. It was all art deco, science fiction stuff. And I remember we pitched clearly what we wanted to do with it was we really thought the, the henchman for the bad guy should be the creeper. Rondo Hatton. <laughs> and Dave was like, he we didn't know this, but he was obsessed with Rondo with the Rondo Hatton and the Creeper. It was, it was just coincidence. We didn't know it. He actually was going to do his own book just about Rondo Hatton, like a biography, like uh graphic oh, no novel. Way. And that was just, we were just, we liked the same stuff. Um I think he really knew that we got it and he gave us a shot with it. So we had come back from Italy after making Zone Troopers and Jim Cameron had seen Transers at the American film market. And we thought, we didn't even know about Terminator when we made Transers. It was shot when Terminator came out. It was like, <laughs> oh shit, it's just the same story. A cop from the future, he comes back. Like we had no idea. So it's ironic that Jim Cameron saw Transers and liked it at the American Film Mart, and recommended to the guys at Fox that they should meet us, that we're the next guys coming out of B-movies that they should talk to. (laughs) Hence, we met this junior executive named Lloyd Levin, who, to make a really long story short, wound up producing, or being an associate producer on The Rocketeer, and his bosses produced The Rocketeer, Larry Gordon, who was running Fox at the time. He wound up becoming a producer in the course of those six years and was stayed with the Rocketeer. Lloyd also produced The Five Bloods. So 30 years later, and he's also the producer on Road Till Dawn, my car movie. So it's from 1985, <laughs> Jim Cameron's seeing transfers at the AFM. I'm still working with the same people he introduced me to. Wow. Right now, like right now, like, you know <laughs> what I mean? so so that's um pretty funny yeah
0: that's insane 40 years down the line you guys are near 40 years down the line you're still still
1: collaborating and working together yeah we're still the same (laughs) older (laughs) still the same we still argue the same stuff there you go
0: well uh just just one last question about the rocketeer and i'll move on uh did you keep anything or not, I guess keep anything, but do you have, you know, your previous drafts of the scripts in your yeah, office? Yeah, yeah,
1: I gave them to um. There's a there's a guy making a Kelvin is making a documentary about Dave Stevens, and I actually gave him wow. multiple drafts of the script. He's gonna give them back. I said, you know, you should, you should have these copy because I didn't have digital on them yeah. for archives, and he's gonna give them back. And I they were they've been making a uh, documentary on Dave, so. It was cool. I did an interview. Um, Joe Johnson did an interview because we were there at the same time, I think, and in a lot of his artist partners. So, you know, the Rocketeer is way more popular now than when it came out. That's the worst thing about
0: it. That's and what I heard. Thing. Yeah, it took 30, um, yeah, 30 years. For- we didn't have a sequel.
1: No, we wasn't there supposed to be three movies? <laughs> I just remember we had a deal for a sequel and it was that was hugely disappointing that the movie wasn't successful when it came out. It really didn't do for our careers what we wanted it to. And um, now it's immensely popular. But we, you know, when they come times to make sequels or remakes of our stuff, never invited to the party. Never. Never. Right. I gotta go do different stuff. Like if they're gonna redo The Rocketeer, nobody talks to me. If they wanted to redo Entrancers, nobody talks to me. The Flash TV show the one, one showrunner one year had me come in for lunch with the writing staff in the summer but nobody ever let paul and i write an episode even of that and they've done like 200 so it, it just accept the fact that you know we did ours they do theirs and they don't really want you back generally <laughs> <laughs> so we do more stuff right yeah. so we do more stuff so um we just keep going i don't think i'll be around for when they want to remake the five bloods and they don't invite me to that because I'll be too old. No,
0: you never know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a huge sort of uh, window of opportunity right now for at least independent cinema. So kind of hoping that things move forward in a uh, positive sense of progress,
1: so to speak. No, but, I think there's, look, there's more opportunities for storytelling all the time. Yeah. No question about that.
0: Yeah, I, I could tell you what I have. Uh, I, I This is going to sound super weird, but I turned 30 on May 13th. And my goal for myself a couple years ago is I need 10 feature scripts done by the time I'm 30. I'm finishing up my 10th one and I'm completely content with not one of those seeing the light of day. (laughs) I will try. I will work my hardest, but it's, it's a lot, but you know, just coming from a writing perspective, I, uh, you You know, got better, right? Yeah, exactly. Compared to the first script, things got better. And, you know, listening to, uh, You know, you talk about all the things you have and you finished having development, maybe greenlit at some point soon. Who knows? Makes me feel a lot better about, you know, (laughs) my career choice, at least on that end. Uh, I do want to ask you, though: do you have uh, something we ask on the show? Do you have a piece of advice you could pass on to somebody listening to the show? It could be somebody who is, uh, you know, wanting to be uh, an executive for video games or become a professional screenwriter. Do you have any sort of piece of wisdom you could pass on to them?
1: Oh, sure, I do, because it was the piece of wisdom that was passed on to me by the only writing teacher that Paul and I ever had. It was John Milius, oh who wrote, God. you know, Apocalypse Now, Winning the yeah. Line, etc. Um, write the movie you want to see the most. It's the most powerful, empowering thing I ever heard. And anytime I'm writing on spec or writing for myself, I go there. I go, what? If I could see any movie... What would would it be? What would the movie I'd want to see the most? It's really empowering. I have my game students, the same thing. What's the game you want to play the most? Just do that. So that's it. That's it. It's that simple.
0: That's a great piece of advice too. And it can go for, like you said, it could go for anything that you're doing, especially creatively. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, speaking on that, is there something that you want to see
1: more than anything that you'd love to write? And it could be something you're not even working on right now. Well, which is a loaded. Question. writers all have the power, unlike any other part of the medium, director, like you wrote 10 scripts for no money, right? By the time you're 30, yeah. um, I don't have to dream about something. I can write it, right? I can realize it in script form. So something I would want to see, it's not way out there. It's like, what am I going to write next? That would be what it is. And I thought I knew what I was going to write next, but my agent said he thinks it might be hard to sell. Is it but is it genre based or production cost based? No, it's there's there's an underlying political subject matter. Oh, okay. But I it's not you. about that. I mean it's it's a Chase movie. But it's about you know, anyway, I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm yeah, not, don't No don't no, I'm it. not Secret <laughs> Sam. I actually don't believe in spoiling, and I do believe as I was taught by my teacher, Mr. Milius, that you just tell the stories a thousand times and the more times you tell it, the better it gets. So the whole secret thing kind of blocks that.
0: I do also want to ask you, is there uh, anything that I can promote on this episode? Maybe something that, uh, maybe a charity or, you know. When does it air? This will air, oh God, let me look at my calendar here. This will air on May 30th. So I.
1: (laughs) Was was there something that that has a deadline? Yeah, the USC Games Online Expo is May 12th. Okay, so um if the if the listeners you can just go to youtube and check out the usc games online expo if you have any interest in next generation uh games or next generation thinking from students or especially if you have any interest in coming to school at usc um in our division check it out um i'm sure there's other things there's a lot of other things i care about in charities and Political things, but um, that's just promoting our stuff and promoting yeah. our students and helping them hopefully get jobs in the future. So,
0: well, you know what? what that's about. That's the beauty of social media is I can promote that for this episode before the episode comes out. Cool. Uh, with audio bits and clips, things like that. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely promote that. And uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time because you've given me so much already. But this uh, this has been fantastic. Just not, you know, only meeting you and chatting with you about learning more about your career and seeing especially where you're going who knows in the next couple of years to see where your projects go it's uh no thanks a lot
1: of stuff stuff we didn't talk about because it's just there's too much yeah (laughs) that's my whole problem it's always too much in the middle of the day something like oh this is all too much my head's gonna explode oh yeah but um we just keep going and um yeah it was a pleasure talking to you and uh sorry about the technical difficulty in the Middle. I think that was my fault. And uh, no, no, no worries whatsoever. I'll and uh, take care. Yeah. So. Bye bye.